The Canucks drop another game at home, and the team is still searching desperately for any sort of offensive spark. It's the Canucks Hour here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always by my co-host, the senior writer for The Athletic, covering the Vancouver Canucks, Thomas Strantz. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. And Drancer, it was only a few days ago, earlier this week, that everyone around the Canucks was so excited for the team to get back to Rogers Arena, playing in front of fans in the regular season for the first time in forever. There was so much excitement, so much hype. The game against Minnesota was a letdown. The game last night against Philly was a letdown. That was not a pleasant, fun, exciting, whatever your adjective was. It was just a, it was a drag to watch as a hockey game, first and foremost. Yeah, it was a little joyless. And and you know what? This Canucks team generally, because their top six isn't going, right, there, there's not a lot of swagger. Like, I think about that four-on-four shift in the second period where Brock Besser started making moves, right, and, and asserting himself. And it looked yep. like it looked fun. It looked like him and Quinn Hughes, there was some interplay there. It looked fun for them. And it was like that was the first time I felt like those guys were having fun all season. And it's because they had the puck. And it's because they had some space. And it's because they were able to, you know, do some of the things that may, that we thought had a chance to make this team special going into the season. But now we're 10% of the way through, and there's just not a ton going on. Like, other than Bo Horvat attacking off the rush sometimes, yeah. right? Other than the occasional bit of craftiness from Connor Garland, there's just not a ton going on offensively for this team five-on-five. Five. And and it's, it's, it's not just not winning them games. Like, it's not just causing them to be on the wrong end of one-goal games more often than not because they can't get that extra goal. It, it, it's also kind of joyless to watch. That's a good word for it, right? And I, you know, I was thinking flat, lifeless, you know, just no energy. It was it was all of those things. And it's it's concerning. It's concerning for a number of reasons. It's interesting because, as you said, you know, with the talent that they have in the top six, and if you had polled people who follow the team, who are fans, who cover the team in the offseason, going into the season, I don't think a lot of people would have said that this is going to be a boring team to watch, right? A lot of people would have said they're going to struggle to win games, but I don't think a lot of people expected it to be boring, right? Like, the the kind of book or the conventional wisdom for the Canucks was, yeah, they're going to score goals, but they're going to have lots of problems defending. You know, they could be playing a lot of 4-3, 5 score their problems! Yes. <laughs> and instead, it has just been... There's just not a lot to hang your hat on, right? Like, no. that game last night, all the scoring happens early in the game, and then Philly... Didn't get a lot, didn't generate a lot going forward, and the Canucks just weren't able to to find that gear that we kind of expected them to have. You know, we talked in the show yesterday, Drancer, the Canucks had the day off uh, um, on Wednesday, and we kind of said, okay, that's Travis Green trying to set up his club to have a rest advantage mm -hmm. over the Philadelphia Flyers, who, of course, had played the previous night in Edmonton. And they won that game, but still, you know, you're traveling. It's a back-to-back -back on the road. The Canucks, theoretically, should be the much more well-rested team. That certainly didn't develop out of the gate. You could maybe say that started yeah. to, to come to bear in the second I, period. But I would say it did work, because over the last 40 minutes, as the, as the game wore on, the Canucks were clearly the stronger side, right? But so... But you have to be sharp out the gate to make sure that advantage matters. You have and to they be. Weren't. You have to be sharp out of the gate. But even the 
the times when they when theoretically that advantage materialized you know, we've all seen periods where one team is just completely tilting the ice and dominating yeah. and throwing everything at the other team. <laughs> that wasn't the second period. No. Like, oh, it was nice. They played well. They played well, but it wasn't, oh my goodness, how is Philly still in this game? It was never like that. If that's the top gear for the Canucks, that's a big, big problem. Totally. It was not a kitchen sink second period. Not even right? close. Yeah. No. There, and there and there is no Martin Jones highlight. You know, that you're no. going to see on SportsCenter where you were like, absolute larceny. <laughs> like, no, you're right. It, they they played well, but they ultimately didn't do enough to generate the goal they needed. And, you know, there was just so many moments. Like, the stat that I can't get out of my mind is two shots on goal with Elias Pettersson on the ice, their number one center, yeah. in the last two games. Like, on this homestand, two shots on goal, 12 against 2-4. That's kind of the story for this team right now. The top end, like, you know, we were talking about things like their defense needs to be just good enough so that their talent matters. And right now it actually is. Like, their defense is at the level where you'd say it's been just good enough that if their offensive talent is clicking, is dangerous, is lethal at all, um, you know, they should be able to outscore the problems. They should be able to win enough games. And the way that it's going right now, you know, it's it's just not like it's the it's the thing that we were most confident that this team had that isn't clicking for them. Like it is the top players, it is the top six, it is their top offensive talent not really coming to bear and making an impact on games. And far too often they don't even look threatening. Yeah. Like they're not even connecting passes. So, you know, again, it's one of those weird things where ten percent into the season we'd look at that and say, well. You know, that's a better problem to have than that your defense is a problem because we're not sure you have the personnel to fix that, right? Whereas this is just a matter of waiting for Pedersen to shake off the rust, waiting for the bounces to come. And they have been a little bit unlucky offensively. They were a little bit unlucky offensively last night. They were worth two and a half expected goals, and they only got one. But it doesn't change the fact that, you know, like, they might have time Pedersen might have time in the grand scheme of things to round into form, but if this team wants to get off to the start they need to be a playoff team, urgency must come now. And I think urgency is an important word here because, you know, if that that performance last night in isolation is not a, you know, hit the panic button, oh my goodness, what is wrong with this team type of performance, right? Like if they turn that in, you know, in a midweek game in Columbus in January – Okay, everyone just kind of shrugs your you shrug your shoulders and you move on, right? It's the fact that it's coming as part of a pattern that is the most concerning thing, right? And and in particular, you you would think again, I started off the show by saying we talked so much about the energy and the passion that was going to be in the building for these games, with fans finally having the chance to get back in the stands, and the hope would be that the team is able to feed off of that energy, to feed off of that passion, and instead, you know, in both games, they've really kind of sucked the life out of the building for long stretches by not being able to generate anything, and you could tie it back to some of the performances we saw on the road from this team as well. Again, if they, every team is going to have flat games throughout the course of an 82 game season that's fine but for a team that should be feeling a sense of urgency for a team that 
you know, had the opportunity to to make a statement in front of their home fans and is still trying to craft its identity. It was really shocking to me that they weren't able to have more life right out of the jump last night. That that might be the most concerning thing for me is that you've got a tired team coming in, you're rested, you're still looking for that first win at home. These are all important games for you, and it was just so lifeless right from the opening whistle. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think the the energy is definitely a concern, although the work rate isn't. Like, I don't feel like this sure. is a product sure. of the team not working. I just feel like it's a product of the team not executing at all. Um, you know, and there's a famous, like, I, I don't know why I always think of this, but there's a famous Bud Poyle quote, and Bud Poyle was, of course, the first ever general manager of the Vancouver Canucks where – um, someone had asked him about his team's execution, and he responded that he was in favor of it, right? And yes. uh, so I always think of that when I say say execution. But the execution that this team has, like, I just don't feel like there's connectivity in terms of the players being predictable to one another. It feels like they struggle to do so much as connect five or six passes consecutively, and every time they do, it's a dangerous scoring chance, and it's like, right, like, that's what this team can do when their talent is firing. And, you know, I think about the Pedersen game last night, and I think about the way that, you know, he wasn't even controlling pucks. Like, yeah. at speed, he wasn't even controlling pucks. It just looked petrifying. Like, it looked petrifying in terms of the club's ability to generate anything momentum-wise momentum offensively, and any push, any sort of, you know, <laughs> lethal look at all. And that's you know, really troubling because, yeah, I mean, at, at some point he's going to figure it out. At some point this club's going to get some bounces in the offensive end of the rink. But at the same time, you know, their defense is probably not going to hold to this extent all season, right? Like they, we saw in stretches of the first period that, you know, the Flyers started to generate some odd man stuff that, you know, some of what we saw from this Canucks team in the past kind of resurfaced. And, you know, fundamentally, when you get into these one-goal games, like, what, what's what been the difference here, right? It's that Claude Giroux makes an incredible bank pass. It's a goal, right? Yeah. Sean Couturier makes his shot on the rush. Yeah. And the Canucks' best players don't have that moment in them to level it up. Yeah, right. And that's, and that's it. That's the difference right now in almost all of these one-goal games. And the Canucks are playing almost all one-goal games. They're not getting blown out. They're not getting trounced. It's not like last season where every game is five goals against. No. Like, this is different. But this is them coming out on the losing end of one-goal games because their game-breakers are in no way... Like, they're not even cracking games, much no. less breaking they're them They're not out, close. Outright. Uh, no. Pedersen, that was... I thought that might have been just the toughest performance to watch from Elias Pedersen last night because, as you said, there was no spark. There was no danger. It didn't even feel like he was on the cusp of doing something special, right? It just... It, it was just... He's just out there. He's just out there taking a shift, filling up space on the ice, and, and then not doing anything. It and, barely felt like he was on the cusp of doing something ordinary. Yeah, it, it really didn't. And I think it's a good point you make about, you know, it's not as if they're getting blown out. These aren't... These aren't what you think of as classically like embarrassing performances. No, where, no. Where it's, you know, oh my goodness, burn the tape and move on. Like that was the Buffalo game, but mm -hmm. it hasn't been these games. That almost makes it more frustrating in a way, though, because you're going into the third period, you're down a goal, and you're thinking, this game is right there. Yeah. Like Minnesota, Philly, they were not dominating these games. Those games are there for the taking for the Canucks, just begging for somebody to step up and kind of put their stamp on things. And no one's been able to do it so far. And it's Elias Pettersson, but, you know, people have texted this in. Well, okay, how about Brock Besser? How about JT Miller? That's fair at this point as well. Bo Horvat, I know he's had his moments. You could put him in that conversation. But can you? 
I I don't. I mean, I look at that rush. There's a rush in the third period where Bo Horvat just like, you know, one man wrecking ball through the neutral zone, gets in all alone, sends a perfect pass. Nils Hoaglander just can't. But, I mean, that's it. Like, with five minutes to go in a one-goal game, Bo Horvat's giving you a chance. Yeah. Like, he's going to give you a chance. He's going to give you one chance in the last five minutes, and he's going to do it all alone, just like down either wing or down the middle of the ice, because that's who Bo Horvat is. To me, that's a job well done. Like, what more can you ask for the guy, from the guy than to give you one shot late, you know, with his best effort? He'll always do it. He does it every time. Um, you know, one guy that I'm really not here for that's fair sort of having the finger pointed at because i mean he's got four goals and individually like some of his lines haven't functioned that well i thought the hoaglander horvat pearson line was a big upgrade in terms of the five on five game that they were able to play yeah um i think we should see that again against edmonton i think we need to see that again against edmonton i think that's like the one line where all three guys kind of know what the other one's going to do and that pays off so yeah i mean for me we got to see that again that's that's the one takeaway from the game where it was like, okay, there's something that works. And, you know, I asked Travis Green after the game, I said, you're changing your lines a lot. Like, are you just looking for answers? Like, are you just looking for anything that works? Yeah. And he, you know, basically said yes and then pointed to the absence of Dowling, Dickinson, and Sutter, right? Bringing him down to only having four guys who are capable of playing right. center and that complicates his ability to play the lotto line together and sort of limits his options to change things up and – you know, I just thought to myself, like, I get it. Th- losing three centers is tough. But Dickinson, Dowling, and Sutter cannot change the outlook of how your club no. plays. Like, it can't. This club's still relatively healthy. Matthew Highmore going on IR and Nick Patan getting recalled. This club is still fundamentally healthy. Uh, Hamannick, Pullman, uncertainty on both. Um, this club is still fundamentally healthy. Their best players are healthy. We, we haven't talked about a single top four or top six no. quality player in, in listing all these absences, like the team is healthy enough that they can't look like this, you know, as a result of their injuries. Like they have to be able to grind out wins better than they have. They can't afford to lose three at home to start this season, which they're going to face the prospect of potentially doing when they face the best team in the Pacific right now on Saturday night. And guys are coming in, filling in for these injuries and performing, right? Like, Justin Bailey has come in. It's not as if it's been a massive no. drop-off going from Dowling to Bailey. <laughs> Yoho Lamico might have been their best forward. Right. I, I understand <laughs> I understand that because Bailey's not a center, it complicates things a little bit, but it's not as if there's this... We talked so much about the depth, the credible depth that they assembled in the offseason, and I, I do think it's paying off. But to your point, that means that... You cannot use the absences. Look, I get it. Center is so important. Losing Dickinson, it causes you to shake things up. I understand that. But that's not the reason that they are struggling right now. Lots and lots of responses coming in. Keep them coming. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Again, the number is 650-650. And, you know, we're talking about Elias Pettersson still just another – Absent performance, I guess, is maybe the best way to say it. He just was not present, not making himself felt on the ice. Uh, the Church of Pedersen, no, no surprise here, is keeping a positive slant on things. He texts in, you need to relax on PD. He only played 26 games last year. He had an injury that ended his season. He has flashing quality and simply needs to get back into it. It will come back, this homestand. Keep faith and confidence in him. And I've said several times now, 
I'm not worried about where Elias Pedersen is going to be in February. Like, I, like, I no. think we're going to see the best version of Elias Pedersen at some point. I this don't year. even think it'll take that long. Sure, but you know what I mean. At some point down the road, we're going to see the best version of Elias Pedersen. No question. How long does the team have to wait, though? That that's the more pressing concern. This is what for me. we keep talking about with the two tracks, right? It's like the the track of will Pedersen figure it out? Are we concerned in the big picture regarding what he is as a player? The answer is no, no, no. not at all. The track on which it's fair to be concerned is the track in which this team needs to take advantage of a relatively soft first half schedule and this in particular moment right now where they have it's now eight of the next 11 at home but all told it's 10 of 13 at home and they need to get off to a good start especially because you know Vegas is going to come and figure it out right like you know that Calgary's looking like a juggernaut. You know, like you know that Alberta's rising in general. You know that the Vegas Golden Knights are going to figure it out. And so, if you're going to keep pace and get one of those three spots, like you need to put yourself in a position to hold a lead. This team clearly doesn't have the same gear that they're going to be able to rely on to close ground. You need to get off to a good start right now when your top players are all healthy, to a man healthy, and when you have a home heavy part of your schedule and your schedule is easier softer in the first half than the second half right now is when this team needs to start to rack up wins and get off to the start they need if they're going to reach the ambition that they've declared to be a playoff team and just look at some of the other performances they are getting that are good like like your Halak played well last night right that's that's a game you could have won with your backup goalie that's a great opportunity that they missed you know what I mean Oliver Ekman Larson has had a fantastic start to the season, right? If you had told people coming into this year that Connor Garland would have eight points in eight games and OEL would be playing like this, you'd be over the moon. You're like, oh my gosh, this team's going to really do some damage. They've, I don't want to say wasted, but they haven't made the most of the opportunity of Oliver Ackman Larson having a really strong start to the year, right? You don't know how long that's going to continue. This this is a great chance. I think it's going to continue, though. Sure, He's but play- you never know. The, you know, as much as like I talk about connectivity and like execution, right? And I almost feel a little bit bad for Ekman Larson right now because I feel like he's shown up so, like, energized by his new opportunity. Every pass he makes is perfect. He's, like, throwing hits. Like, he had, like, five hits through 40 minutes. And they were, like, big hits. Like, he had that huge hit on Zach McEwen. I was like, that looked painful. Like, that was awesome. Um, He's played so calm, so composed. He's moved the puck so well. And he's, like, this oasis of calm, competent sort of connectivity a wash in this otherwise desert, just like arid desert where nothing is working for this team. I almost feel for the guy. Like, it's such a funny experience to watch right now. And it makes a lot of sense, actually, when you kind of understand the dynamic that he personally yes. is working through where he's like, finally, I'm free. And then nothing else is working around him. It's And incredible. everyone else is just slogging away <laughs> at it here. Everyone else is just sloppy. Like, it just looks sloppy. From, from up top in the press box, I'm watching, and I'm just like, there's just not a ton of of calm, competent execution on the ice right now. And it's really tough to figure out, especially because, for the most part, the players I'm talking about are not... We've spent so much time in this market talking about the depth and talking about the fourth line and talking about, you know, if only this the the key players on this team were supported. And right now, like, the support stuff built around them is actually hurting okay. It's It's, working. Or if it's not working, it's not hurting. Right? It's not yeah. actively crushing them the way it has in the past. And there's just not a ton there 
from the pieces we thought would carry this team. Well, the fourth line set up the goal last night, right? Like a classic, just dump it in, four yeah. check, and it goes to the point, and you and score a goal, more. right? And, and, and more. They, had, they were probably the most consistently effective unit the team had last night. And look, in a fourth line role, I don't want to you know, get carried yeah, away. Yeah, we're not overselling. No, I don't want to get carried away heaping praise on them, but you're right, it's not as if... You know, Yuho Lamico's like my favorite guy, so it's easy for me to heap praise on Yuho Lamico, but... <laughs> You're Vancouver's number one Yuho Lamico stan. 100% I am. <laughs> I've long been a big Yuho Lamico stan. Uh, lots more talk coming in about Pedersen and some of the other top players on the team. This one says, uh, you could blame it on the pressure of a big contract for Pedersen. However, Hughes has been good, and Besser was lights out last year, so that excuse doesn't fly. And another one <laughs> says, this is from Damon, uh, David Langley, he says, isn't the slow start for Pedersen? and Hughes a direct result of them missing training camp. Well, I would dispute that Quinn Hughes has had a slow start. Uh, Quinn Hughes has not had a just slow fine. start. Totally. Yeah. So that's another interesting one, right? Because now every every player is going to be different. Yeah, I don't find this interesting at all. I find this completely predictable. It's just, you know, one of them has been fine, good. I've really, really good. And I think he's been great. Elias Patterson has just been nothing like what we're used to seeing. So I, I don't think you can point to the the missing camp as the factor necessarily because it hasn't impacted Quinn Hughes. I want to go on a small rant here, right? People are it. talking about like Pedersen, he's comfortable now. He's comfortable. He signed the big contract, right? And it's like, okay, the way that his contract is structured, right? He is not a $7 million player this season. He's a $4 million player this season. So first of all, when you're like, oh, he's not looking anything close to the 7.35, it's like, that's his cap hit. Salary is four, four, four million. Let's just, let's just, Facts matter in these cases. In terms of Pedersen versus Hughes, though, like Hughes is the natural, right? Hughes is born to skate all day. They used to call him the worm in the GTHL because of the way he just burrowed about the ice, right? Like he he grew up, his brothers are both (laughs) top five picks. Like he grew up in this hockey family. His dad was the player development guy for the Maple Leafs. He has spent his entire life playing on the ice with top-end competition and being the shiftiest skater and, like, the naturally smartest player on every sheet of ice that he's ever been on, right? He is completely... He's also got this body. Like, he's going to play till he's 35, 36, 37, and he's still going to be one of the best skaters in the league. He's just got these natural gifts, and it's extremely natural. Pedersen, on the other hand, right, grew up, and the reason he got so good was that his dad had keys to an ice rink in Anjay, Sweden, like a small town outside of Sunsfall. So he was able to go and he just enjoyed being on the rink and he figured out a bunch of things that worked for him. Like he broke his shot down into 12 component parts and mastered the art of it. He's, he's cerebral. He's a nerd. Like he's a savant where Quinn Hughes is natural. And for a player that's as precision based as Pedersen, that's as reliant as Pedersen is on being like 2%, faster and I don't mean in terms of speed I mean mentally sure and in terms of control and in terms of technical skill uh than everyone else like if Quinn Hughes is 2% off he's still going to be able to skate all day he's still going to be the best shiftiest skater on the ice every time he hits it if Quinn if Elias Pettersson is 2% off well he's not the biggest guy he's not the fastest guy right he's the smartest guy and so if you're if the guy who's got the sort of artificial intelligence, spatial problem-solving thing going is 2% off, and all of a sudden they can't solve problems well enough, I mean, it shows an awful lot more than it does for your average player. And I think that's fundamentally what we're seeing with Pedersen as he shakes off the rust. I think it's that. 
And this text comes in, what makes you so confident that EP is going to bounce back? I've not seen a single flash from him, not one deke, not one rush, not one incredible pass, not one top corner shot. He looks like he is skating in sand. Help me understand your perspective. I would disagree that there hasn't been any flashes from Pedersen. There have been dekes. There have been moments. Nowhere near the consistency you would expect. Now, I would agree that he looks tentative, certainly is probably the word I would use. But just to answer your question about where I get the confidence he's going to bounce back... His track record at the NHL so far in three seasons is really impressive. And I know he had the slow start last year, but then he did bounce back from that slow start, right? And he did get back to the level that he's established for himself to be a star-level impact player in this league. So he has the track record. I know that it's frustrating. I do think he's going to get back there. But the big question is when. That is the big question right now for the Vancouver Canucks. It's the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Myself, Jamie Dodd, and Thomas Drance. Lots more to get into. We haven't talked about him yet, really, but tons of people are texting in 650-650 about Travis About the Green. coach. We will dive into <laughs> that conversation. No surprise that some heat is coming in on Travis Green to the text message inbox. We'll get into that, share our thoughts on that topic. That's coming up next. It's the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. It is the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always by my co-host, senior writer for The Athletic, covering the Vancouver Canucks, Thomas Drance. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. You can always get in on the conversation. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, and plenty of you, plenty of you have chosen to do so. Lots and lots of questions, comments, reaction coming in off the heels of the Canucks. Uh, lifeless, I think it's fair to say. Disappointing 2-1 loss to the Philadelphia Flyers last night at Rogers Arena. Drancer, before we dive into the text message inbox too much here. I do have some some notes from Canucks practice. They're just getting on the ice out at eight rinks in Burnaby. Nick Patan on the ice. No surprise there. He was mm-hmm. called up as um, Matthew Highmore was placed on IR. Tucker Poolman on the ice as well. He, of course, was a game-time decision for the Canucks last night. Ended up not playing. Jason Dickinson also on the ice for the Canucks Huge. at practice today. So, you know, we talked about it in the first segment. It's not – the injuries certainly aren't an excuse, but you also understand the crunch at center and what that does to the lineup. I think it would make Travis Green's life a lot easier when he's trying to put some line combinations together if Jason Dickinson is able to get back sooner rather than later. 100%. And especially because it lets JT Miller play the wing, right? Like, yep. JT Miller gets to play the wing. He gets to play the wing with Pedersen. It helps them in the faceoff circle. It helps Pedersen in terms of driving play. Although Pedersen and Miller just like they just haven't worked together this season. It's so strange because they seem to have such a hive mind together, both in yep. terms of generating off the rush and the cycle uh, in that 1920 season. Uh, played pretty well together, even if it wasn't quite as prolific in 2021 before Pedersen went down with injury. Um, just just nothing doing there right now. So we'll we'll see. But you know, it would probably help too. If they were able to get a run of games, like it would help if there was a possibility for them to play an entire game together as opposed to needing JT Miller to play, you know, first line center or second line center while Pedersen plays third line center because you just don't have enough centermen. Dickinson helps you address that issue. Um, You know, I also think he gives you a guy to maybe play with Pod Colson at a level where Pod Colson can maybe actually like play a consistent role throughout the entire game. 
Um, I thought it was his best game last night, by the way. He was good. Yeah, we should talk about that a little yeah, bit. Because, and, and he actually got some minutes, right? It wasn't like, oh, man, he's disappeared from the game here. You know, he ended up, he got about 10 minutes of five-on-five. Five, and I yep. think, you know, 10, 11 minutes of five-on-five five action for oh, that's great. Pod yep. That's nice. That's a good spot to be in. And you're right. I thought he had a pretty strong game. He earned game. that. He yeah. earned that. He was really assertive on the forecheck, forced some turnovers, uh, made some nice passes. Like, that's been one thing is a lot of his, like, pass attempts out front. You know, people are like, yeah. oh, and he almost hit that guy. And they, like, strike it as a positive, And I'm just watching it like, that means he didn't hit yes, the guy and there was you, a better option. You, you know? actually like, have to complete that pass. Yeah. <laughs> like, your better option is to go up high and maintain possession or take the shot or, you know what I'm saying? So, anyway, he actually hit some guys with some passes. Like, it feels like one of those things that he's figuring out. Like, just how hard it is to slip passes past guys. Just how hard it is to create space along the wall. Um, you know, the biggest flaw in his game remains plays off the defensive side half wall, defensive zone yep. half wall that connect plays in transition. That remains a, a, a work in progress. That's a really hard detail to master. Like, you know, there's other forwards on this team, other wingers on this team. There's a certain power forward I can think of that spent eight years in Vancouver who never figured that part of the game out. So it's like, you know, you get some time there. You get some grace period from me while you work out those details. Uh, but I thought it was his best game by a lot. And last any night. any sort of positive upward trajectory for Vasily Podkolzin is a big deal for the Canucks at this point, 100%. Right? because they need that offensive spark, and they need that they size, man. It. Like they need that assertive size. They need that pace. They need a depth player with some offensive touch. Like yep. they need Podkolzin to be. This top nine looks totally different with Podkolzin instead of Matthew Highmore. With a like, pro- totally different with a productive trusted Pod Colson, it completely changes the complexion Massive. of the forward group. Massive. All right, so I teased it just as we were heading into the break. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your text coming in. And lots and lots and lots of you have sent your thoughts in already about Travis Green. And we didn't really address Travis Green in the first segment. We wanted to save some time here towards the end of the show to get into it. And I'll just start by reading some of your texts on the matter. Mike and Victoria says, Travis Green needs to go before it's too late. We're already having a horrible start to this season. He can't coach this team anymore. Spenny on Bowen says, time for the lens of ire, which is a nice turn, turn of phrase. I enjoy that, Spenny. Time for the lens of ire to be turned squarely up upon green benching garland was screwy the time to fire him is long past uh cheryl texts in would love to know your thoughts on green's coaching i am constantly frustrated with the line combos forever changing no consistency no chemistry no plan and we go gray cup says this team is not clicking green is on the bubble i give him until christmas to figure it out and drancer look In a Canadian market, in Vancouver specifically, if the team is not performing, if the results, and not just the results, but just the product overall, is not there on the ice, there are always going to be questions about the coach. That's just how it works here in Vancouver. Then you add on the fact that this is Travis Green's fifth season as the Canucks head coach. And that's that's a pretty long time in NHL terms to be at the coach of a team, especially with the the lack of results overall that Nice season in 1920, going to the bubble and accomplishing something in the bubble. But outside of that, an overall lack of results in Travis Green's tenure. For you, when does the conversation about Travis Green's future with this team get serious? When does that become a legitimate talking point that a change might be made? It, like, sorry, ever. beyond the fans. Yes, beyond the fans. Oh, I think we're a fair distance from that. But it's a talking point among the fans, and I think that's good. Like, I think it's good that this market is back to, you know, 
how many how many times have you heard talking about hockey or or hearing hockey talked about growing up like it's a results based business? Yep. It's a results based business. It hasn't been a results based business in this market in a decade. So yep. you know the return of expectations that's a good thing. Um, you know this is Travis Green's fifth season, right? The team never had any chance of making the playoffs until the 2019-20 yep. season, right? They did that year, uh, kind of. I mean, they made the play-in tournament. They won a couple rounds in it. You know, it was, a, it was a good year. Honestly, it was a really good year. And then last season, 2021, the team didn't try to win. The organization did not try to win. And I think part of the reason there wasn't consequences in the wake of it was that the team hadn't tried to win, right? Like, they hadn't. They didn't spend. They didn't really try. To, like, winning was not a priority. Depth was not a priority. And as things went sideways, I think that's why there were no consequences for key organizational leaders in terms of running it back this season. Now we're 10% into this season. The Canucks are, you know, what, they're two points or they have seven points in eight games, right? So not the start you want in eight games, but I don't think it's been the catastrophe that a lot of fans think it has, at least from a tactical or deployment basis. I mean, for me, this is, you know, primarily based on the struggles of a bunch of top players. Like, this is, you know, not systems issues. This is not deployment issues. You know, Garland not playing yesterday. I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, you you could point... There's always stuff you can point to, but also, you know, Garland wasn't noticeable at any point in the 11 minutes he played. And... You know, you can understand a coach sort of tweaking his lines accordingly. In terms of how, what, like, when does this get serious? I think for fans in this market, it's already a serious topic, right? Like, it's already a serious topic, and that's because fans have gone into the season thinking that this team was massively improved from the team. And, you know, I mean, personally, I just never bought that this roster was more than a bubble, like a fringe playoff team. And so far, they've performed the way a fringe playoff team might. You know, maybe they'd have two more wins. Yeah, I mean, you'd like to see them have something like nine points in eight games or ten points in eight games. But, I mean, there, there's a couple bounces here or there that would make them that, and it wouldn't fundamentally alter my assessment of the team, which is that I don't think this team has the defensive chops. Like, I don't think they have the personnel on the back end. Um, you know, and I worry about the construction in terms of other key areas. You know, no right-handed centerman, penalty-killing personnel. Like, I worry about the team construction to the point that I just – don't necessarily think they're a slam dunk playoff team that's massively underachieving through 10% of the season. And so, you know, I think they're going to give Green and this team some time to figure it out. I think they should. Um, I, you know, I, I certainly think we're, you know, one texter said Christmas. I think, yeah, I mean, that's that seems about right to me. Maybe, maybe another month from now, it starts to be something that we're watching in a serious way. But for now, I think it's just the chat like for now i think it's fan chatter and fans expressing their dissatisfaction with the way the team is playing and considering how joyless it is considering how disconnected it is considering how little swagger this team's top players um you know have so far i think it's a fair topic this text comes in echoing what you're just saying at the end there says i don't think you can blame green right now it's not on him if the top players have no finish no coach can control that they're in game they're in all the games till the end so it's not green's fault they can't score and that's a fair perspective as well my take on travis green in his time here in vancouver has been for the most part he's gotten the most out of these teams because you look early in his tenure 
those are some really rough rosters to deal with. Really, really tough rosters to coach yeah. at the NHL level. He did a pretty good job of it, right? And at that stage in the, the trajectory of the Canucks franchise, it was more about, you know, shepherding Brock Besser into the NHL, which he did well. And, you know, it's always tough to assign credit to the player versus the coach versus the organization. But he brought in these young players and helped them have immediate success in the NHL, I do think we we can debate how much the roster has improved, but it clearly has improved from last year, I would say. Sure, yeah. With the moves they made. So there but are... has it improved going, from 1920? That's an interesting question. And I think that is a very fair question to ask. I just... Here's the thing. I don't think you can have the discussion about Travis Green's future with this club without without also having a discussion about Jim Benning's future with That's this correct. club. That's correct. Right? Because we all know the dynamic of general managers and coaches in the NHL. And as I said, Travis Green, this is his fifth season with the team. Jim Benning's been here longer than that, right? Like, he's been here eight years. It'll be nine years coming up at the end of this season that Jim Benning has been in charge of this team. And, you know, general managers, you only get to hire so many coaches, right? If, if theoretically, Travis Green was to be let go and someone brought in, that would be Jim Benning's third coach that he hired for the Vancouver Canucks. It would surprise me to a certain extent if he was given the ability to do that. But I just look at the dynamic of whether people on the outside think this team is dramatically improved. The team did a lot of work to to overhaul this roster, to shed itself of bad contracts and bring in new players that they are really excited about. And I just don't know. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to resist. If this team is still struggling to to hang in the playoff picture in a month, in six weeks, we have seen it time and time again that NHL teams will pull the trigger and fire the coach looking for that quick impact of bringing in somebody new to, to save a team season, right? Like that's something that happens in the NHL. And I'm just not sure if this franchise will be able to resist the temptation of doing that, even if there's no one single thing you can lay at the feet of Travis Green for why the team is underachieving. Yeah, I mean, I think I my my sense of it would be that, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if Green, having just been extended, right, his term matches that of the general manager. Um, there was a ton of heat around the general manager just a year ago, right, in February and January of last year when the team really got off to a rough start. And then again, a little bit toward the end of the season before the decision was made to have continuity um, and bring in the Sedin twins and extend Travis Green and, and run it back in terms of um, key leaders. You know, I don't know that this is a situation where it's as simple as does a general manager get to change the coach at any point? Like, I, I think because both have been here for so long, because the organization just committed two years to Green, you know, I, I think the decision-making process internally is going to be a little bit different than what's conventional in terms of assessing where this team's at and assessing what voice they need and what changes they need. Um, so it's going to be a really interesting thing to monitor and watch uh, in the event that the team continues to struggle. But overall, it's just too early. Like, this team is slowly building out the sample as we begin to move towards certainty of what they are, right? And it's like, right now we're looking at a team that is below average defensively, but by no means a train wreck, has strong goaltending, which we would have expected, yep. and, you know, is really struggling to manufacture offense. And, and you know, of those sort of three things, like what's the most likely to change, they're probably going to start to score more. Like yep. they're probably going to not be the worst offensive team at five-on-five five in hockey over the course of a full season considering their personnel. 
And so, you know, we we, we kind of just need to see more games. Like, we kind of need to just give this a little bit of time to play out. And that's frustrating, I think. I, I'm sure that's frustrating for fans to hear because they've been waiting forever for this team to turn any type of corner. And, and because by the time we have some certainty about what this team is, like one thing I think we know is that they're not elite. They're not a no. team that's going to be able to go on the 25-4-3 type run that you need to close the gap if you fall behind early. Like They need to be setting a decent pace here right now. And so they don't really have a ton of time to figure it out as we wait to figure them out and see and and see, you know, have them show us exactly who they are as a group. Gurjeet texts in, guys, with people saying fire green, who replaces him? What decent coaching candidates are out there? Torts, he's not coming back. Not many good names. This may also figure into the, to the decision. That's always part of it, certainly. And that's part of it, whether you're talking about general manager, when you're talking about a coach, right? You don't fire someone usually unless you have a pretty good idea of who you want to who you want to bring in to replace them. Certainly not uh, mid-season anyways. There are names out there. It's just a question of whether they would be willing to come here. Claude Julian doesn't have a coaching job right now. He certainly has pedigree around the league, respect around the league. But again, it's a question of if it's a fit, if the team sees it as a fit, if the coaching candidate sees it as a fit as well. Langley Fun Guy texts in, I don't think it's all on green, but if you want the most out of your players, you need to put them in a situation that best suits the, sp- the specific player in order to provide individual and team success. Travis doesn't let these changes grow and mature into success. He expects success immediately upon throwing a line together. Just let the line stay together at least till the third if you're down, but not 10 minutes into the game. That's from Langley Fun Guy. <laughs> that's how everyone does it, man. That's so, that's something that comes in a lot, right? Oh, they're, he's throwing the lines in a blender, but I feel like every coach in the NHL has the reputation for throwing the lines in a blender. Also, like, lines get changed. Also, he stuck forever with Pearson Horvat Garland this season because he wanted to let them have chemistry build. Um, meanwhile, nothing else was working around them, and they weren't working either, you know? So it's like, it's a tough balance. Like, how how quickly do you change versus how much do you let continuity reign? And when I think about the last three seasons, you know, when I've been covering the team day to day, lines have stayed the same forever, right? Like, yes. changes have been slow more than anything, right? Like, the lotto line played together forever. Louis Erickson on Horvat's wing. You know, like, we've seen him stick with things, got at with Vertanen and Roussel. Like, we've seen these lines be relatively uh, stable. You know, if anything, I feel like two years ago we were having conversations about how Green wasn't reactive enough to to changing things, <laughs> and then and then we saw him in the playoffs, and it, things were changing all the time. He was running out different lineups for every period, and it worked. And then you're a genius, right? I mean, fundamentally, they're losing games, so the heat is on. I get it. I don't think it's going to be a real conversation or a real consideration internally for at least a month, probably a little bit longer. And I think Green has a, a fair bit more rope um, than you'd expect or than an average coach in this situation would uh, just because of the way that the organization is set up. The fact that he's just been extended um, and, you know, I, th- I think the internal politics of the thing. And I think it ultimately also comes down to what the internal expectations at the very top level of the franchise are. Of right. If, if it's we have to do everything humanly possible to make the playoffs, then obviously at some point his job does become in jeopardy if they're not living up to that standard. Right. But if the expectation is even slightly lower than that and there are other 
priorities that play into it, then, as you said, the rope becomes a lot longer. The potential for him uh, to survive becomes a lot a lot greater as well. Um, lots more text coming in. We appreciate all of the all of the feedback. I did want to follow up on something that we talked about uh, quite a bit yesterday on the show, Drancer, which is, of course, the the Chicago Blackhawks, the Brad Aldrich, Kyle Beach, Joel Quenville, the entire situation that um, that really came out on Wednesday with the Kyle Beach interview with Rick Westhead. And just to follow up, uh, the, it was announced recently that the Hockey Hall of Fame has consulted with the NHL, with Gary Bettman, with Bill Daly, and that Brad Aldrich's name is going to be removed from the Stanley Cup. And that was done at the request from the Chicago Blackhawks after there was kind of a public outcry in that direction demanding that some sort of step like that uh, is taken. So there, there is your update. Brad Aldrich's name will be removed from the Stanley Cup. And this is just another example for me, Drancer, where I'm glad that it's happening. I think it's fair. I might have opted for the X's through instead of completely erasing it. Yeah, just I like that. I like yeah. that concept. I thought my yeah. colleague at the Athletic, Sean McIndoe, made a powerful argument that that was actually a more lasting yeah. punishment. Plus, it would deface the 2009-10 Blackhawks yeah. entry, which should i mean i liked that option best yeah i agree i would have that's what i would it have does decided. undermine their accomplishment like the fact is is that this will always be attached to what that blackhawks team accomplished and that's right like they made a decision to pursue short-term glory over doing what was evidently the right thing and protecting you know someone whom they had a duty of responsibility to protect so yeah, I mean, I, I look, removing the name is fine, but the Blackhawks never should have allowed that name to go on the cup anyway. And so, you know, I, whatever. I it, mean, it, it, tar- it is what it is. This this entire episode, whatever you want to call it, it it tarnishes the legacy of that win, of that franchise, of those teams. And right? of everyone involved, yeah. personally. And doing the X's through the name would have reflected that. It would have been it a physical... Yeah representation of them sullying their own legacy right 100%. erasing it i i'm not i'm not saying it's a disastrous move to erase it because i still think it accomplishes something and at least at least it's a step but it does allow it to fly under the radar more than defacing his name on the stanley cup would have the other thing i just wanted to say is it's it's great that they're doing something to address it but i always am concerned that Everyone involved, the Blackhawks, the NHL, the Hockey Hall of Fame, is looking at, okay, this is something we can do to make the conversation go away, right? We can say, oh, hey, we we erased the name from the Stanley Cup. There, we did it. See how seriously we're taking it? And while I applaud the move, and while I think it's the right move, I'm always so concerned that they are going to to act as if this closes the matter somehow, right? And I think, you know, we we saw that somehow Kevin Sheveldayoff is not going to receive any punishment uh, from the NHL, that's after Joel Quenville resigned, and it, it was a resignation, but he's also effectively banned from the NHL until Gary Bettman says otherwise, so that's a complicated situation. It's it's a de facto expulsion. Yes. It's, a, it's an expulsion with legalese underpinning it, and, you know, Jamie, you went to law school, so you, you understand that implicitly, right? The, uh, the, the, the punishment for Quenville, I thought, was fitting. Um, the shovel day off thing. I mean, I hope the NHL says more than the statement that they yep. have issued to this point. Cause I don't quite understand. Like I get that he wasn't as responsible as a coach president or general manager, um, because he was an assistant general manager, but at the very least he is clearly he's like, in the power structure. He's responsible for his counsel. Yeah. And if your counsel wasn't 
WTF, right? Then then you drop the ball. Then you drop the ball. And as I understand it, six of the seven people in that meeting are no longer employed in the NHL, and a lot of them, it's they're not going to be allowed back unless Gary Bettman says so. So yeah, unless they ha- discuss the conditions yeah. under which that employment would continue. Like- How the seventh is not only avoids that fate specifically, but avoids any punishment whatsoever is surprising to me. So I agree with you. I hope that the NHL does come out and address that. And as I said, it's up to all of us fans, certainly us with a platform in the media to, okay, when, when, when somebody does take accountability, that's great. We can applaud it. We can commend it, but also we can't, we can't let something like, you know, erasing Brad Aldrich's name from the Stanley Cup, let us think that this matter is closed, that there has been appropriate accountability, appropriate remorse, anything like that. It's a good step, but there's a ton more that needs to be done. A really good point. Uh, That's going to do it for the Canucks Hour for today and for this week as well. Man, we just had tons and tons of feedback coming in 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. I really appreciate all the texts. I'm sorry we can't read all of them. If we did read all of them, that would literally be the entire hour. But I appreciate everyone who texts in. It means a lot to us. It means a lot to the show. Drancer, have a great weekend, man. You too, bud. We will be back. Should be a... Happy Halloween. Yeah, happy Halloween. I said it... I was about to say it should be a good one against the Oilers tomorrow, but... With the way this team has sucked the who life knows? out of the last two games, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Hopefully it'll be a good one against the Oilers on Saturday it's night. always good to watch McDavid play live. Absolutely. And we will be back on Monday to break it all down, all of the news and notes from the weekend. Enjoy your weekend. Have a great Halloween. Stay safe out there. Sportsnet Today with Bick Nazar and Israel Fair is up next on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.